0: This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. In a sea full of monsters, sometimes it's hard to find the good guys. But I was pleasantly surprised as I was sitting front row in a Brooklyn courtroom when it became public knowledge that John Mata was the only U.S. soccer board member to vote in favor of allowing NASL to keep its Division II status for 2018. I was surprised again when Mr. Mata sent me a text message saying that he was on his way to Kazar Pub in San Francisco. He wanted to meet up with me and some Cosmos and Deltas fans as we were pre-gaming with, uh, with pitchers of beer before the 2017 NASL final. And just a wild guess, uh, just yeah, just a hunch, I don't feel like most USSF board members would actually do something like that. It was uh, it was quite a treat to see John walk into the bar, and I was actually (laughs) I remember uh, sitting at the table with a couple people, and they're like, "Do you know what he looks like?" I was like, "Well, I've never met him before, but I'm pretty sure he's going to stand out like a sore thumb." And sure enough, he came in walking, uh, (laughs) he came walking in wearing a a suit and tie when everybody else was pretty much just in their uh, in their regular game day gear at the at the pub. So. Yeah, needless to say, he stuck out like a sore thumb, but he stuck around and he took a picture with us. You can check that out. It's on, the, it's on 343coaching.com. It's in the write-up for this podcast. But what that proved to me, and actually the feeling that I got after interviewing John, was that he seems to be a genuine soccer guy. And he told me a whole bunch of stories, and he seems like he's done just about everything that you can do in American soccer. He was vice president of U.S. soccer in the late 90s. He was actually an assistant referee in MLS. He's owned his own team. He, <laughs> he's, he's yeah, he's he's done just about everything. And I don't want to spoil all of it here in the intro, but uh, I, I do want to tell you a, a couple of tidbits to kind of um, catch your interest, I guess. You're going to hear him say that U.S. soccer doesn't seem to have the same family vibe that it once did. His stories about the U.S. women's national team when they were on top of the world in the late 90s seem to be much different than the stories we're used to hearing about the program now. And I got the feeling that it really upsets him. You're going to hear him tell the story about when he narrowly beat out Sunil Gulati in the race for U.S. soccer vice president. And you're also going to hear him tell the story of when he lost to Sunil just two years later. And... John has a very long history in American soccer That seems to be fueled by his Portuguese blood That runs through his veins He talks a lot about his Portuguese heritage It's pretty cool Um, But like I said, he's a former MLS referee A former team owner A former state administrator He is now currently the president of United States Adult Soccer Association So USASA So he's the president of that association But just to kind of sum up what John is up to these days. He is pretty much one of just a few voices that represent lower division soccer in the US soccer boardroom that is dominated by people with an interest in our closed first division. And like I said, instead of spoiling uh, all of his stories, I, I think it's better if we just kind of get on with it and let the stories tell themselves. But if you end up enjoying this episode of the 343 Podcast, it would be awesome if you could give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. And just a reminder that this episode of the 343 Podcast and all of the episodes of the 343 Podcast are brought to you by 343coaching.com. That's the numbers, three, four, and three, coaching, all spelled out, .com. And that's where you can find more episodes of this podcast. You can find over 200 written articles. And you can actually find the free seven-week coaching course that gives you the foundation to the eh, possession-based methodology that 343 is known for. And when you're ready, you can also sign up for the premium course. And that takes you on a deeper dive into the process, and that uses videos of real coaches, real players, real teams, exclusive audio, ebooks, and so much more. You can find all of that at 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343 coaching all spelled out.com. All right. Let's uh, let's get into this episode. This is the first time that a US Soccer board member has been a guest on the 343 podcast. I'm super excited for this one. I think you guys are going to like it. I hope you like it. All right. Enjoy. Let's hope for good news. Yeah, can you hear me? That sounds 10 times better.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can hear you well too. Awesome. It so, must be the Wi-Fi in the house is not that good. Hey, I have the same
0: complaints here in California.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you're, right. in a, you're in a tech, company, tech area, so.
0: Uh, I, I'm near it. Yeah, I'm closer, than, I'm closer than you are. <laughs> yeah, I know. Where, where are you in California? I'm a little bit north
1: of Santa Barbara.
0: I actually live in uh, San oh, Luis okay. Obispo.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm going to San Francisco uh, Saturday.
0: Oh, you're going to be out here?
1: Yeah, you, for the NASL championship.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to – actually, I have to be in Fullerton on Saturday for, uh, for a little soccer project, and then I'm going to try to book it up to San Francisco to catch the game. Right. The game's on Sunday, right?
1: Yeah, it's Sunday at five o'clock. So. Yeah,
0: so I sh- I should be able to make it on Sunday. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we get to oh, run man. into each other and shake hands. <laughs>
1: yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So. Uh, I'm already recording, just so you know. <laughs> okay. Um, All right. And and I I've I may I'm not be al-
1: I may I may not be able to answer some of the questions. But.
0: Exactly. That's that's what I was just going to say. I'm I'm, I'm aware of, of some questions that I that I can't answer. Sorry, that I can't ask. Um, or yeah. Or I can't answer. So if at any point um, I ask a question that you can't answer, just let me know, and and I can either go back and edit it out, or we can just skip, or we can just skip over it. It's not it's not a big yep. deal. Perfect. Um, sure. But I uh, just kind of exchanging emails with you. I think I kind of divulged that I don't know much about you and I want to kind of learn how you became uh, such a prominent member of, of the U S soccer community. You're on the United States soccer Federation board. Um, You also are part of the United States adult soccer association. Did I say that right? U S A S A. Yeah. Okay. Um, so those are those are two pretty big, uh, big positions that you don't just stumble into usually. Um, so I guess maybe if we if we can choose a starting point, I'd like to start with with how you got involved with soccer to begin with. Was it as a kid? Was yeah. it in college, high school, some somewhere else?
1: Well, um, how I how mean, did soccer come
0: into your I, life? I,
1: sure. I mean, I've I've told everybody this story and. My parents both came from Portugal, so they, we lived in a small town in Rhode Island, and of course, my father being Portuguese and the community we lived in was almost entirely Portuguese, uh, all the Portuguese guys decided they wanted to start a soccer club down in Bristol, Rhode Island, uh, which my father was a, a part of that group. and. Um, they started the Bristol sports club, which is still in existence today. And that was around 19 early sixties, like very early sixties. So, uh, growing up, I was always on the soccer field with my dad. I mean, and every recollection recollection I have as growing up is being on the soccer field with my dad. So my dad actually built the first soccer field in the community we lived in. Uh, it's still there. It's still there at Colt state park. And, um, So my routine every Sunday was I'd go to Mass in the morning, we'd have a big Portuguese meal at noontime, and all afternoon was spent on the soccer field. So that's uh, how I began. Uh, There was no youth soccer at that time, just uh, very strong amateur soccer, uh, which was the team my father was involved with. So that's, that's my beginnings with soccer. I mean, I've always been on a soccer field ever since I can remember
0: and and that team brist did you say bristol city sc was that what it was bristol bristol sports club bristol sports club okay it, are they still around today
1: uh the club is but i don't believe they have a soccer team right now oh that's
0: interesting so the, the club is still around yeah. what what is the yep. what does that entail then because this is more of like a like I'm thinking about like how a European model is where it's not just a soccer club. There's like other stuff to, that that you're that you're part of.
1: Yeah, well now I live in uh, you know New Hampshire, so I don't I don't frequent Rhode Island very often. <laughs> but I know the club is still there, and it's a bar, and they have a social hall next to it, so they do have a lot of uh, festivities that they still do. Uh, they have members that pay dues. So it's, it's still a social club. The only thing is they don't have a soccer team right now. Uh, the club down the street from them, which is the Lincoln, Lincoln Sports Club, they have a soccer field in, in Bristol uh, in the community I grew up with that's still in existence.
0: That's so awesome to hear. That's And it's so funny too because um, my, my family is from, from Croatia and, and one of the things sure. I get exposed to – yearly and I I haven't gone the last couple of years, but um, what I what I remember growing up with is that there's these Croatian communities all over the United States and each community kinda of has its own Croatian hall or um, sure. kinda kind of like a meeting point or a church or and same thing as Portuguese.
1: Portuguese the same way. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, but but they are kind of like a social club, and not everyone has like a soccer club, but um, but exactly. they're but they're very much a social club, and, and every year, or twice a year, um, the Croatian community kind of gets together and they throw either like a seven v seven or sometimes an eleven v eleven tournament, and then the after party is always at whatever that Croatian hall is or or um, that that designated area. It's it's super cool, and actually one of the churches uh, went as far as actually building a field field at the church. Uh, which is sure, cool. Sure. That's that's actually in the Bay Area, so you'll be close to it. Um, it's a little yeah, bit of a social.
1: Go. Yeah, there's some Portuguese social clubs in Massachusetts and Rhode Island that, you know, they have their club. And, you know, one that comes to mind would be Cumberland, Rhode Island. They have their social hall and they have a soccer field right outside of the hall. And, you know, I remember refereeing there many times. And, uh, you know, you, you'd have a game and then everybody goes to the club and have a dinner, have a drink, and then go home for the day. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's that sound that sounds amazing hey and and you just sure. you just tipped me off to something else too so you've actually been a referee so you you're uh, yes. you're yes. no stranger to the to getting yelled
1: at. No 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 <laughs> I, got, I got very very thick skin and you know I, I I did have a pretty good referee career and and in the early stages of the MLs I was an assistant referee in the MLs so uh so I made it pretty 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 far in my referee career. What was And what today was I also chair I also chair the referee committee for US soccer today.
0: See, I'm learning something I'm learning something new every second with you. I'm I'm curious about what yeah. your journey was like to become that assistant referee in an MLS capacity because I, I've also refereed and and I know the, the amount of work and the and the path that it takes to get there. It's it's not an easy road. Um but in the beginning no, stages not. I'm not I'm not sure if there even was a, a designated path. So that was, you must have been a trailblazer.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, when I became a referee, actually, I was playing amateur soccer in New Hampshire. And I remember very clearly that we were in the championship game. And I can remember the refereeing in that game was absolutely horrendous. And we had the current state president there and the uh, state referee administrator watching the game because it was the final. And I remember going up to them and I yelled at them. I says, you know, your referees absolutely suck here in New Hampshire, just (laughs) like that. And they responded to me, well, if you think you can do better, why don't you become a referee? So probably when I was around 28 years old, I decided, well, I'll take the course and I'll become a referee. So, uh, I mean, never thinking, you know, I would like it, never thinking I would make it to MLS. But, uh, you know, I started out with the youth youth games in New Hampshire. And I can remember my very first game, you know, I I was shaking in in my shoes and it was only a youth game. Uh, But, you know, after doing a few games, I decided, wow, this is pretty neat. I like doing this. And, you know, I went up the ranks and luckily in uh, New England, we had what we call the Old Laza League, which was a Portuguese league of pretty much all Portuguese immigrants that were very good soccer players. And it was at that time one of the most competitive amateur leagues in the United States. And I can remember that, you know, high-level referees from all over the country used to come to referee in that league because that was a league known that if you wanted to become a FIFA international referee, you'd have to go do some games in that league to prove yourself. So uh, so, I, so I was lucky enough that I got to referee in that league, so I, I really... Had some very, you know, challenging games and tough amateur games that I refereed, and you know, just continued and continued and uh, in the referee career, and then I started doing some professional games. Then when MLS came about, uh, you know, 20-some odd years ago, then uh, I was put on the, uh, you know, assistant referee game, uh, assistant referee, and I did a, you know, maybe three or four games the first year, and then I actually hurt my back and and I had to pull out of being a referee because I couldn't couldn't you know run as like I supposed to in uh in a professional game to to keep up with the players so I had to kind of put the refereeing career on the back burner and then you know started with the administrative career
0: when when you first were getting into the assistant refereeing with MLS was it MLS's first year were you part of that
1: Very first year. Yep. I was a referee in the very first year of MLS. Do you
0: remember anything, any details about that first
1: game? Oh yeah. The first game, actually it's a, I tell this story where, you know, I was a little bit of a cocky type of referee, you know, and uh, I remember going into, uh, you know, Foxborough stadium at the time. Uh, Now it's called Gillette, but at that time it was Foxborough, it was a New England revolution. And, you know, I was, an assistant referee, we called them linesmen at that time. And I was cocky saying, ah, you know, what's this all about? You know, I'm just, just a linesman. That, that's a piece of cake. You know, a little bit cocky. <laughs> so so I go out there and there must have been like 30 something thousand fans, you know, out behind you in the stands and the whistle blows and the play goes on. And, you know, and I go, oh, my God. You know, the, the, the intensity and the quickness of the game actually blew my mind. It was so fast at that time that when the ball was on my half of the field, I was even afraid to blink because I thought if I blinked, I would miss a critical play. So it was an eye opener that first game where, you know, I got in there cocky saying, well, I'm only a linesman. But once the play started and I saw how quick it was, it was really, really an eye opener for me <laughs>
0: that's so cool to hear you talk about that story
1: <laughs> yeah i was afraid to blink because i said i'm going to miss a critical play so it, it kind of says i can't blink <laughs>
0: i i've only had one kind of moment like that where i i felt like i was maybe in a little over my head i got a I had a chance to referee a uh let's see it was a Chivas game. So Chivas brought their U23 team, I believe, or maybe their U20 yeah. team from Mexico up here. And they were doing like a, like a, their preseason tour. Yeah. And I got a chance to referee uh, one of their games. And I was, th- I was the center referee and, and those guys were so good and so fast. And, and I was a little bit out of shape and oh. I couldn't keep up and it it was kind of embarrassing. So,
1: Oh man. Sorry. Say that again. Oh no, So that was, you know, the, 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 that's what I recollected from that first game was, you know, how fast and quick, you know, the play was.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. Um, so kind kind of a, a a quick transition then from being involved as a player to all of a sudden you're on this accelerated path as a referee and then a, a quick dropout because of an injury or things kind of out of your control. But then you got into this administrative work and, and this is kind of what you're doing today still. Um, Or not kind of, it is what you're doing today. Um, Tell tell me a little bit about how you actually transitioned into the administrative side and and what that was like back in the, sounds like the mid to late 90s.
1: Yeah, well, actually it was a parallel path because actually um, I became president of New Hampshire Soccer Association, which at that time was a dual state. We had both youth and amateurs. So I was president of youth and amateurs for New Hampshire Soccer. And I got elected in 1988 as president of uh, New Hampshire soccer. So being president, of course, you know, you attend all the AGMs, you attend all the national meetings, the youth meetings, tournaments. And, you know, I got to to know quite a few people around the country pretty well. Right. So uh, from attending all those meetings. So um, so I did that for about 10 years from 1988 to 98. So in 1998 it was the, um, a, the position of executive vice president of U.S. Soccer came up, right? So I says, well, you know, I'm be, I've been president for 10 years. I've, I've made a lot of contacts. I'll throw my hat in the, into, the, uh, into the mix of running for executive vice president of U.S. Soccer. So at that point, nobody was running. So I was basically the only candidate. And toward the end of the, um, uh, of the uh, election cycle, Sunil Gulati put his name in. And so it was me against Sunil. And uh, and it was funny because, you know, I kind of thought, well, I'm, you know, Sunil, everybody knows Sunil, so this is probably, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna make it, right? <laughs> so, but, uh, but the voting at that time was different. So the amateurs had a third of the vote, the youth had a third of the vote, and the professionals had a third of the vote. So uh, at that year, there was a level president and vice president, and that was the year that, that Dr. Bob Contagulia became president. So that was the first election that day was uh, the president. So Dr. Bob becomes president, and uh, then we have the vice president uh, election. And I actually beat Sunil to be the executive vice president of U.S. Soccer. So so that was kind of like wow, <laughs> you know. Uh, A big, a big moment in in my soccer career, of course, I mean, I go from being a president of a very small state to being executive vice president of U.S. soccer. So so it was a huge jump at that time. But I mean, you know, I worked well with Dr. Bob. Uh, You know, we did a lot of stuff together. That's actually the time when we changed all the U.S. soccer rules to, you know, give the athletes their voting strength and we changed all the rules we Diminished the board from like forty-five members down to wherever it is today. So during the time I was vice president, there was a lot, a lot of changes to U.S. soccer.
0: Can Can you put a a timestamp on on when that was?
1: What's that? The the changes?
0: No, the like when when you were actually elected the executive vice president? And, yeah,
1: and yes. Was it Hawaii in nineteen ninety eight at 1998. the annual general meeting? Okay. Yeah. So.
0: It, that is a very accelerated uh path then so in in 1988 you're president of New Hampshire soccer and then all of a sudden yeah 10 years later executive I'm, I'm, vice president uh, of US soccer
1: yeah exactly did you yeah. ever
0: did, did you ever anticipate that well i mean i
1: if i if i didn't anticipate it i wouldn't have ran right i mean i ran because it was something i wanted to do at that time uh you know so I mean when Sunil entered the race, I really thought that wow, you know, my chances of it went went from, you know, pretty good to slim. <laughs> and uh, you know, luckily, you know, the, the voting the voting was different at that time. So uh, so I mean I, I only beat him by like, you know, it was like fifty point something to forty nine point something. <laughs> so it was a very false race, but I won. <laughs>
0: Think, thinking back can can you remember any big differences between your campaign and Sunil's campaign maybe something that would have um, what do you think made made people vote for I you instead of him
1: I think the difference was that you know when Dr. Bob got elected first right that uh, and actually he went up stage and, and and urged the membership to vote for Sunil and not me so I kind of think that you know people didn't want, you know, a structure, a, a leadership of, of all of, you know, Sunil and Dr. Bob, which kind of would be like the same thing, right? So I think they saw me as the alternative guy, which, you know, grassroots guy, uh, we'll, we'll look after the membership more, we'll, we'll listen to the membership, you know, versus, you know, Sunil who came pretty much at that time, you know, he was deputy director of MLS, You know, so I I think they they, they, when Dr. Bob got elected, they kind of wanted me there as a balance, you know, for the for the grassroots people. So I think that was the big difference that 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 why people elected me.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting to hear because it's hard to it's hard to kind of when you're thinking about what's happening right now. I know. People are so okay. people are, people are so focused on on what's happening right now that they kind of forget about what shaped the past and and how it
1: yeah
0: and 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 so it's interesting to hear you kind of talk about how you number one got elected and then and then some of the big things that that you were part of right away so I mean shrinking yeah. the board I think that's a that's a humongous deal and if we had a board that was forty five fifty members today, oh my lord it <laughs> I, I can't even imagine what it would be like. Chairs out there, right? <laughs> <laughs> Very during true. Very so, true. So,
1: yeah, I mean, it was substantial changes. I mean, we, we literally reshaped our soccer during that during that time. And I
0: guess during during that time, so I don't I don't know how long your 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 term lasted. Was it
1: two years, four years? Two years. It was a two year term at that point, and then in two years. So Neil decided to run against me again, and again, it was a very close vote, and it was, I think, like, again, 51 to 49, but the second time around, he did beat me, again, by a slim margin, but I beat him by a slim margin, he beat me by a slim margin.
0: So so thinking back to those two years that you had that role as, as executive vice president, what, what do you look back on, and, and what are you most proud of during that two-year period, I guess?
1: Well, 1999, the women winning the World Cup here in the United States. That's the so big that one. So that was a very tough <laughs> No, can't get much bigger than winning the World Championship, right? Exactly, exactly. No, so being I still... part of that team. And, and the thing was, I mean, I I was very close to that team. I mean, I literally traveled almost everywhere they went. I traveled with them. I went to Portugal to the Algarve Cup and spent like two weeks with them. So I had a very, very, very close relationship with that women's national team during the '98-'99 period when they won the World Cup. So, so when they won the World Cup at you know at the Rose Bowl, it was it, it was definitely one of the highlights of my soccer career. Being there, being part of that team, you know, uh, enjoying the win in the locker room with them, with President Clinton in the locker room, and you know, it was just great. I and I, and I remember that. After the game, myself, Dr. Bob, who was the president, and Hank Steinbrecher, who was the uh, general secretary, you know, we're walking around the field when, when, the, when the stadium is empty and after everybody had left and just walking around and, and talking about the game and you know the accomplishment. And I remember going to the penalty mark where Brandy Chastain <laughs> took the kick. And I literally, I still got it, kind of took a big chunk of the grass of where the penalty spot was as a memento of that, of that (laughs) game. I still do have the penalties mark grass from where that, you know, where we won the world championship.
0: That's so awesome. I have chills. Just listening to you kind of recap that, that, that time, it it reminds me where I was. I I remember I I had went on a camping trip with, with my family and I was in Northern California and my dad was a big soccer, soccer guy. I, I was raised on soccer and, and we found like the one TV within like a 30 mile radius to go watch the game. And and I remember (laughs) that, that exact moment when they won, that's very special. Sure. It's it's gotta be very special for you to be part of that. I'm, I'm curious. Is is that, is that normal for somebody like in your position to be that involved with the team? Or was that something that you kind of just did because you felt invested in the team?
1: I would say that the mentality then is definitely different than the mentality today. Uh, I would say that in that time period, it was, and that was probably the time period where it was, it was changing, but I, I really felt that as a, a soccer family, we were more united. We were more close and we really felt that we were part of a family. Uh, whereas today, you know, it's, it's definitely a business. And, you know, business comes first. And I kind of think that we at, we've actually lost, you know, that, that, a little bit of that family familiness that we had years ago of everybody feeling they're part of U.S. soccer. Uh, so I kind of feel that, you know, we've lost some of that. So at that time, you know, yeah, I, I was very involved with the team. I traveled a lot with them as a vice president. And, you know, and I really felt, I never felt out of place. I really felt we had a really good kind of connection with each other, even with Tony De Chico, the coach. And, you know, it, it, for me, it was special. And I really feel that, you know, that kind of connection is kind of lost today. And I'll give you another example. I remember when the U-17s went to New Zealand for the World Championships, the, I think it was that same year, um... And myself and Hank Steinbrecher who was the general secretary, we went down to New Zealand with the U-17s. And that's when Landon Donovan was on the team and Beasley and Beckerman. I mean, that was a killer team, you know. And I can remember me and uh, Hank and I, before every game, we'd go into the locker room and Hank would give the team a really nice speech, a motivational speech about they're representing the USA and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, we came in, fought that year in the world. I think it's the best showing a U.S. team ever had. You know, again, we had the players, but in my back of my head, I always say, you know, did those motivational spe- speeches that Hank Steinbrecher went in that locker room, you know, resonate with those young men and 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 really push them to become the best they could be? So, you know, looking back, we had those special interactions with the team. Where I don't, I really, you know, today it's more, you know, it's the coaching staff, and you know, we don't have any interactions with the team, and maybe that's what's missing. I I don't know.
0: <laughs> that's no, no, that's a, that's a good point. And one thing that popped into my head was that you you you've obviously been a soccer guy your entire life. What what was Hanks' yeah. um, soccer background? Was was he somebody that had oh, he, he, soccer knowledge, or was oh, he yeah. just a guy that went in oh, like, yeah. hey, let's rah rah?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. He had soccer knowledge. He grew up in New York, and he played on teams in New York. And, you know, he played in college, and he was a college coach. And, uh, no, he definitely grew up with the game himself. So he was very knowledgeable about the game. And as a matter of fact, today, you know, he, he was definitely a big mentor of mine. And, and for me today, there's no one, no one in U.S. soccer that that I respect more than Hank Steinbrecher.
0: That's a, it's a name that I'm not. I'm honestly not too familiar with again.
1: So I'm going to have to uh, Google I'm gonna, I'm it and have, look him up. Yeah, I'm going to have to go do my homework. Just, yeah, I'm going to tell. You, he was a general secretary for many years, uh, but he was definitely a people person. I mean, he loved everyone that was involved in this game, and he loved the game, and he still does. I mean, he lives in Tucson with his son right now. He just moved there from Chicago about a year ago or so, a little over a year. But, I mean, I mean, the guy is just magical in my opinion. He, he, he's great, just a, a great, great, great soccer guy. And and going into that locker room and those U-17s and just listening, giving them a, a pregame speech, just, you know, it, I mean, I was in. I was saying, wow, you know, so. <laughs>
0: and and that could be something that that is missing though because having somebody like you that has this big soccer background where you've played, you've been head of a of a state association, you've actually refereed and and so when somebody like you walks into the locker room there's there has to be some type of like a mutual respect from the players and then you for the players as well and the same with a guy like Hank and maybe if we look at kind of the atmosphere right now, with the way the leadership is, and and, and if you can't speak on this, that's that's one hundred percent fine. But, um, but it seems like there's there's more business people than soccer people, and so if a business person were to walk in the locker room right now and try to give a speech to the players, would it make sense?
1: Well, again, you know, we're in different times, and you know, U.S. soccer has gone into being a, a the business it's it is. And I'm not going to knock anyone forward. I mean, it's great that, uh, you know, that we have people that have business minds and brought this federation to wherever it is today. I mean, you know, I could remember when the, when the federation, you know, had no money and and had to borrow money to get teams, national teams to to games. And uh, you know, from where we were to where we are is definitely uh, you know, a, a huge improvement. But again, you know, the one thing that that hurts me as a guy who's been around, you know, for, for around the game for over for over 50 years. Oh, don't is, do yourself you know, like that. <laughs> like I said, I, I I remember as a little kid, I was on the soccer fields every 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 weekend with my dad. <laughs> but uh, you know, w- what what hurts me is the people piece that, that I think is missing. You know, the, the respect for people and the respect for people for what how they've contributed to this game. And, you know, there's there's a lot of old timers still around that that really brought this game to where it is. And and I kind of think that, you know, we're missing that piece of 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 recognizing those people and 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 treating them with the respect they deserve.
0: Is there a solution
1: for that? You, there's always a solution, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you, know, like, you you need people that that believe in people. You know, you you, know, you got to get people that 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 really that love people that that see the value of people. Uh, you know, again, you know, maybe we're too business minded right now. That you know, we we've, we've lost a little of that. So maybe we need to to come back a little bit and 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 look at our people that, that have brought this game to where it's at. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not going to say we, we throw everything or what we're doing because like I says, I'm a businessman and I respect the successes of how U.S. soccer has become a business. I mean, you got to respect that, but I think, you know, you can't just ignore the people piece because, you know, the one thing I'm very proud of is I'm, I'm a very, very, per, uh, people person, you know, and, uh, you know, I think that, that, that we could do better in that department.
0: I, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, the solution to that, it, it's, it's interesting to kind of think about ways that that can, that that can improve. And you have guys right now that are kind of throwing their name in the, in the hat for, for USSF president and, and seeing some of their ideas. It's like, okay, yeah. Like, like those make sense. Um, <laughs> So we we kind of just have to wait. It's kind of a wait and see approach right now,
1: for the most part. Yeah, without a doubt, yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. Uh, I think there'll be more people playing in the hat before it's over. When oh, done with. I,
0: I have no doubt. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> um, I I want to I want to go back to uh, kind of your your path to where uh, to, or your path that's taking you. Taking you, sorry, I can't talk right now. Your path that's taking you to where you are today. So, at somewhere along the line, uh, some some other stuff uh, got added to your resume, and there's two things that jump out at me. So, your your affiliation or your association with USASA, and then also you have yep. this this random Dunkin' Donuts thing on your resume. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. how how, how yeah. do those two things uh, come into place, and and if there's anything that uh, that I missed in there, maybe fill in the gaps with other with other duties as well.
1: Yeah Well, I, as president of USASA, which I am today, I, you know it's my third GRS president, uh, again, I, I was always a huge uh, advocate of the amateur game, the adult game. I mean, I grew up with my like I said my dad, that was all amateur soccer. That's all we had though in those years. We had no professional leagues. there was no professional soccer. You know, so the amateur game was the game in this country. So I grew up with the amateur game and respect, you know, what they what they have to offer and the level of play and how they contribute to the fabric of U.S. soccer. Um, I became involved with the uh, uh after I lost the vice presidency of U.S. Uh, soccer to Sunil in uh, the year 2000. Uh, I kind of took a, a year off, I, you know, I didn't do much with soccer for about a year, a year and a half. And then the president then of uh, USASA called me up and says, John, I need a chairman of my referee committee for the U.S. adults. And would you like to do it? But of course, my, my passion is refereeing. Also, I, I love the, the referee part of U.S. soccer. So I said, sure, I'd love to be the chairman of your referee committee. So I became chairman of the USASA Referee Committee probably in the early 2000s. And I did that for quite a few years. Uh, and then uh, there was a position on the board of directors for USASA, which we call an at-large member. They have two at-large members. So I says, well, you know, I might as well be on the board also. So I ran for one of the at-large positions and that position. Uh, And then, uh, you know, Richard Groff, who was president of USA at that time, very good friend of mine, we back through, you know, to the 1980s as youth presidents of state associations. So me and Richard go, you know, go back a long, long time. So he was president of USASA. He um, and I was on the board with him and then, you know, he decided that. You know, he wasn't going to run anymore and so I decided I would run for the position of President of the Adults and there I am here I am today. <laughs>
0: it's exciting. Um, what what is USASA for people that don't know um, or that aren't familiar with that league? what, what exactly is it and, and how does it fall into the the bigger picture of U.S. soccer?
1: Okay, so the USASA is the United States Adult Soccer Association, and pretty much it governs all adult soccer in the United States. So anything after youth, which is like, you know, 19 and over, uh, falls our our auspices of the USASA. So we do have some very strong amateur leagues, which you, you understand, the PDL, the NPS are both members of USASA. And you know, right now there's a UPSL also that's that's uh three top leagues in the uh, USASA. And then in the women's side we have the NWSL, which is the National Women Premier League, which was run by Jerry Zanelli for many, many years, and he just either sold it or, you know, uh, retired from that 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 organization. Uh, they have a new guy that's running that organization, but all those all those leagues fall under my 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 umbrella of USASA. so so we have from top 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 amateur leagues down to you know the co-ed leagues that are playing locally in in your communities so anything to do with adult soccer pretty much falls under our umbrella.
0: How does it make you feel when you see a team like? Detroit city FC booming like they're booming or, or just doing what they're doing in, in their city. What, what's, what's, no, your, no. what's your reaction to that?
1: No, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, they, they're doing great stuff and you know, level of excitement and, and the fan base there. It, I mean, it's, I mean, Oh, you've got to be proud of those guys. I mean, I'm proud that they're members of ours and, you know, just fantastic. And then you get, you know, a team like crystals FC, that made it, you know, all the way to, you know, to the like fourth round of the uh, Lamaha Open Cup last year, and you know, pretty much was beating DC United mm-hmm. one nothing. You know, these are all teams that, that fall under our umbrella, and you know, to see the level of excitement and the and the passion around the game that those players have, you know, it, it, it's it's probably more so than than any other players. I mean, those players that are playing in the amateur league. They play because they really love the game. I mean, they're not getting paid. The, the reason why they're out there is because they love the game and they, and they give it all they got week in, week out. You know, I mean, professional players, yeah, they have passion, but that's their job, right? So they're there, they get paid, and of course they want to win. But, you know, it's a different type of, of passion that they have where I think the amateur players, you know, they play because they really, really have love for that game.
0: And where where does, I guess, where does the line get drawn between USASA being like the governing body of adult soccer and then like the next step up? So like USL, NASL, MLS, like where does that line get drawn and, and how does that line get drawn if you can maybe speak about
1: that? Well, unfortunately, I mean, you know, because of the – There's no promotion relegation in this country. I mean, so basically the line is drawn, you know, between the amateurs and the professionals. You know, unless you look at the USL, you know, the USL pretty much, uh, they they govern the PDL. The PDL is part of their organization. So they have their super Y and then they've got their PDL. Then they got the USL pro. So they pretty much got, you know, within their own organization, you know, places where their players can move up and down. So I'm sure there's a great player on one of their PDL teams, you know, one of their USL teams would sign them, right? I mean, it's very easy to do it that way. You know, um, You know, the NPSL, who's our other, you know, big league, I mean, yeah, they're out there, they play in the summer months, and, uh, and pretty much, you know, that's it. So, you know, it, it's really hard because, again, there's no promotion relegation. Uh, in this country and, and, and a pathway for teams to go anywhere. Uh, but we just, uh, a couple of weeks ago at our mid-year meeting, we just passed the, our National Council a brand new tier system for amateur soccer in this country. So now we're gonna have tier one, tier two, tier three, and we're gonna have the leagues decide where they want to fall within the pyramid of amateur soccer. So we're in that process right now where all the leagues are evaluating you know, the standards because now we have stricter standards that they need to adhere to. Um, and we're getting more feedback from the leagues, you know, including the PDL, the NPSL, the Women's League, uh, the you know, UPSL, they're all giving us more feedback and we're refining everything we're doing. So hopefully by 2018, we'll have all these tier systems in place and I'm looking uh, to hold a summit in Philadelphia, possibly with all these members, so we can talk about you know what's the future of this amateur. Do we do promotion and relegation amongst ourselves, you know, and uh, no, who knows? There might be a pro league that might be interested, you know, uh, of joining our forces and, and 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 doing this. So, I mean, the first step was getting the tiers in place, which we've done. So the next set of discussion would be, you know, what do we want to do with these tiers and how do we want to, you know, go forward with it? You know, do we want to do promotion relegation within our own amateur divisions? Again, it's not something you can snap your fingers and do it overnight. I mean, you need a lot of cooperation by by everyone, by the different leagues. You know, there's a lot of personalities involved, a lot of egos involved. (laughs) So, you know. You know, unless you've been there, you you, you don't understand what I'm saying, but uh, but it's a lot of work. But, but that would be, you know, the goal, my goal, to see where this is all going.
0: So I, I guess I, I have to go back to that, that question about the line being drawn, because it seems like, from what you're saying, that as long as you guys kind of operate within – your own little realm, or below that line mm-hmm. of USL, NASL, MLS, that you guys can implement whatever structure you guys want in the in the adult amateur arena. So you guys can do promotion yeah, I, relegation. You guys can do how, however you guys want to organize it. You can you can pretty much do whatever you want.
1: Yeah, with cooperations from everyone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean we're not gonna, <laughs> we can't do it. We can't like I said, I can't snap my fingers and says, hey, starting next year, this is what we're gonna do. I mean, you know, you're going to piss off a lot of people, but, you know, that's what I'm saying. You get everybody in a room. We talk about it. We discuss it, you know, and we see, you know, what's on everybody's mind and how's the best way to do this. I mean, I think it can be done and it can be done, you know, without, a, you know, a lot of work, but you're going to need cooperation, you know, and then, you know, looking forward beyond that and crossing that line. I mean, there's no there's nothing out there that says that, you know, if, if there's a, a division three league out there, you know, maybe they want to be part of that. Maybe they want to be part of that promotion relegation. And maybe the NASL wants to be part of that, you know, being, we know where MLS stands with that right now. And and we can all understand why, you know, why they, why they think that way. I mean, you know, people invested a lot of money in those, in those leagues but nothing that prohibits the other leagues from, from joining with the amateur leagues and, 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 and making that pyramid uh, again, it takes a lot of cooperation, a lot of, a lot of work, but you know, it can be done. in my opinion,
0: I, I believe so too. And it's exciting that, that there's people like yourself and, and others that are, that are willing to give it a shot. And, and I think it's something that this country, this country needs, um, and i think it's also something that this country wants and and once they get exposed to something like this i think it's it's i think it's going to catch fire that's just my personal opinion but um, yeah. but i i'm excited for it um you you've uh you've kind of caught my attention on Twitter lately and, and I don't know if that's something that's new for you. Has Twitter, has Twitter always been something where, where you've been present or is it something that you've kind of just, uh, you've just, you've just uh, gravitated towards?
1: I I mean, and I'll, and I'll give you the reason behind that. So as as you've read, I mean, I was contemplating maybe running for president of us soccer, right? I mean, I I was in the mix. I was always thinking about it. It was something I was, discussing with my wife and, and other people in the soccer community. And, you know, and I was real seriously thinking of doing it. So while I was in that process of thinking, you know, the best way to get your word out there is through Twitter. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it, and it hit me all of a sudden, cause somebody, uh, somebody actually recommended to me, says, John, if you're really serious about this, you got to get more on social media, especially Twitter. I mean, I was a big Facebook guy. But I was—I had a Twitter account. Never went on. Never, never, never. So when I was seriously thinking about running for president of U.S. Soccer, I started going on there. And I'll never forget—I was at an airport. I forgot where I was flying to, and I and I put this one thing out there, you know. and I, and I don't remember what it was, but I remember putting something out there in the Twitter world. And all of a sudden you know it, it exploded. I mean my phone was ding, ding ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I mean, just I like, go oh, oh my god this is this is crazy and 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 that's how I kind of got hooked on it and you know and I use it quite a bit now
0: and I've yeah. only been out of two months and, and what would you say you use it for at this at this point because you've decided
1: uh, I'm oh. assuming
0: you've decided you're not running for president, so
1: I'm not running president, but I am still president of U.S. Adults. And I think what better way of spreading the word about adult soccer than through Twitter? For an example, uh, you know, we just voted on giving prize money for our national amateur champions. So the champion will get thousand, you know, second place ten, third place seventy five hundred. So that's brand new. So how do you get the message to the masses out there? Put it out on Twitter. Right. So, last month I came up with another idea, that says, wow, you know, everybody's interested in the LaMaha Open Cup. What if we give our national amateur champion an automatic buy into the first round of the LaMaha Open Cup, right? So I brought it to my board of directors, everybody thought it was a great idea, boom, it passed. So what do I do? I put it up on Twitter. So it's, it's a way of promoting U.S. adult soccer, which in my opinion, there's not a better way than through there. And you know, I've seen my posts up there and I've seen people responding and, you know, it's it's just amazing to see, you know, how, how you know, when you put something out there, how quickly the word spreads. I, I'm sometimes really... not so good. But... <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes not great. <laughs> and, and the other reason I do it is, I mean, I, I think I'm probably the only U.S. soccer board member that's really actively on there. But, you know, during this whole nomination process, during this whole presidency thing, I've seen so much misinformation out there, and, and I feel like I'm obligated as a board member to make sure that people are saying the, the right things out in the Twitter world. So anytime I see somebody who's who's t- tweeting something that is not correct or is, isn't given the right information, I would immediately go on there and correct them. You know, and say, no, that's not correct. This is this is the right process, or this is how it's done. This is how the election works, and you know, because there was you know. I remember reading, you know, oh, the president is elected by the board of directors of U.S. soccer. They're the only ones who vote. And I says, absolutely not. We got a vote per each, which in the whole voting structure really is nothing. You know, so the amateurs got 25 percent, the youth got 20. So anytime I see somebody like tweeting something that is totally not correct, I'll definitely go out there and, and, and put the right information out.
0: If I'm not mistaken, that's that's actually how we got connected. I think I might have put something out there, and, and you responded with a little bit more information that I was unaware of. And you you educated cool. me. So,
1: <laughs> well, and I've done that to a lot of people. I mean, not that I'm you know I'm smarter than everybody else, but I mean, you know, I've been around the game and I'm on the board, so I, I pretty much know all of U.S. Soccer's you know policies and procedures and bylaws, pretty much you know like the back of my hand. So you know a lot of these people don't know it and you know when i see they made a mistake i feel that i have to go out there and correct it so so people are getting the correct information
0: because you have that extensive knowledge of the the policies the procedures and also the history uh, of of kind of us soccer and and how everything's been shaped within the last like 20 to 25 years especially in the in the high ranking positions that you've had is there one one thing specifically that you're looking forward to to seeing maybe like a change in now that we have this opportunity?
1: in, in regards to what?
0: Uh, so the potential new leadership or or if Sunil does run and and, and is reelected, he has an opportunity to to, to make changes if he wants. But I, I just feel like we've we're at a at a point where maybe we've never been before. That if there's something that that we want to change, that this is the time to do it. So is well, and some... I
1: think and I think it, I think it will be done. As a matter of fact, I met with Sunil uh, during our mid-year meeting, one-on-one. You know, and, and we talked about the presidency and you know where he was and, and you know. And the one thing I, I told Sunil, I said, Sunil, you know, if you do run and you are elected president again. I mean, we have to dissect this whole federation completely. We got to look at everything we're doing and how we're doing it, and seeing if it makes sense. So he totally agreed with me. He says, "John, absolutely. I mean, we definitely have to look at, you know, how how, how we're doing everything in U.S. soccer and what needs to be changed, what could be better. Uh, and you know, and again, it, you know, I'm not the genius in the room, and he's not either. So I think collectively, if we get the right people in the room and after whoever gets elected, whether it's Sunil or somebody mm. else, you know, I think that is definitely a top priority for the board of directors to to tackle.
0: Thinking back to all all of your time in, in involved with U.S. soccer, have you ever seen a time like this in U.S. soccer in U.S. soccer history? Have you ever seen this much in engagement and involvement and and turmoil oh. and anger and and all those things well, not as
1: much but I, I i can recall that when uh alan Rothenberg ran the first time i mean he kind of like snuck in the election i mean richard groff was running for president and hanged the boards i believe it was and and all of a sudden this guy alan Rothenberg just strolls in one meeting and he's you know he's got the backing by fifa to be the next president and, he, and then you know, uh, Havlange was a people president who strolls into a meeting, flies in to, to endorse him, that he has to be the president. So, I mean, it's, it's it, 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 at that point, it, was, it wasn't was the same thing. I mean, we there wasn't as much anger. But, I mean, there was a lot of tur- turmoil within the soccer community at that point where, you know, this guy Rothenberg just pulls in and, you know, is running for president. And he actually won the presidency. <laughs> Anyhow, but, you know, that was kind of a... You know, a little bit of craziness at that time. And and
0: I don't want to I don't want to take up all of your day, so maybe just one or two more questions. Um, because it's such a important time, and and you being a USSF board member and president of USASA, you have a, a very important voice, and you can influence people. Uh, I'm curious, and I've stolen this question from another podcaster, by the way. And uh, okay. <laughs> it's uh it's one of my favorite questions that he asks people. But um, it, it, if you could have a billboard placed somewhere where everybody or the majority of people in American soccer, fans, parents, players, coaches, investors, everybody that, that the majority of people would see it. If you could have a billboard, what would it say? What would the message be on that billboard?
1: Probably, probably the same message. Uh, that 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 u.s soccer is giving let's make soccer the preeminent sport in america
0: that's amazing to actually hear because one of the one of the things that jumps out at me right away is that for the most part soccer fans in general have kind of accepted this stance that we're like number four like we're behind baseball basketball and football and it's like no yeah, like, yeah. let like what what's wrong with wanting to achieve more
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, well, uh, i mean you know My, my, my goal in life has always been, you know, you, you, you strive for, for, for being the best you can be, right? Perfection strive for being number one. And if if that's not your goal, then something's wrong, I think. Right. So, so that is, you know, soccer's mission statement is, you know, let's make soccer the preeminent sport. So I think a billboard just then that says together we'll make soccer, the preeminent sport in America would be a great billboard.
0: I think so too. Actually, I, I, I 100% agree. Um, yeah. is there, is there anywhere where people can go and and learn more about, I guess you yourself, and then also the USASA and the new projects that you guys have, uh, moving forward? I know you posted a couple of times that, uh, that you were going to release, I think, I think it was going to be I the know. new structure and, and it hasn't been Dead. released to my knowledge.
1: Well, I mean, I mean, I'm respecting my uh, my CEO in Chicago. <laughs> I mean, if it was up to me, it would have been out there because I'm, I'm the most transparent guy you'll ever find in this. Because <laughs> I believe that, you know, I mean, there are some things that are confidential, but I really believe that, you know, information needs to get out there. People need to know what's going on. And, you know, I am a thousand percent, you know, believe in transparency across the board. And if it was up to me. I would have had those standards up the day after them. <laughs> right? I, I'm serious. I'm serious. But, you know, out of respect for my CEO who's working in Chicago and who's actually working with all the leagues to refine it a little bit better and find out where everybody wants to be. You know, he, 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 he urged me not to post anything until we get it the way it needs to be. So, so I, I, I sometimes listen to my CEO and, uh, you know, and, uh, now, I think it's good advice because I don't want something out there and people be going crazy. You know, this is going to happen and this is this and this is that. And so we, refine it and we get all the leagues on board and where, where they're all comfortable. Uh, so I, I think it, 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 it was very good counsel from him to me. So, so wh-
0: whenever that does get released, though, where, where can people go to find it or where can they start searching to, to keep tabs on it? I would
1: be, it would definitely be on the USA, us adult soccer webpage. I'm sure that would be the first place it would be on there. But I mean, as soon as like, he says it's good, I'll probably post it on Twitter. <laughs> <I'll> think, uh,
0: <laughs> and so. and what's your what's your Twitter handle so people can can catch you on there? It's John P. Mata. John P. Mata. Okay, and I'll make sure I link to that in the uh, in the show recap yep. that I'll that I'll write up. Um,
1: any uh, any last one thing I Yeah, one other thing. It's. Uh... shut my phone off. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can
0: hear you. I was like, no, don't cut out now.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. So that, that's actually my vice president was calling me. So, uh,
0: yeah. So. But the one
1: thing we'll say is, you know, the other thing we did talk about is that, uh, you know, in the, uh, right before the came about, I, 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 also started and owned my own professional team in the old US ISL in, uh, which was called the New Hampshire Phantoms. And they're actually still in existence today. I don't own them anymore. Uh, but, you know, uh, in the early 90s, I, I actually invested and in, in started my own professional soccer team in New Hampshire. Uh, and actually, in my three years, I owned them. Uh, we made it to the final four and we lost in the national championships. That's the, the third year I owned them. So we had a very successful team, a very good team. So But the bottom line is, you know, there's pretty much nothing in soccer that I haven't done except probably playing being a professional player. But uh, I've pretty much done it all.
0: That's amazing to hear, man. And and you seem like you're a genuine voice for the the lower divisions and and amateur soccer and, and I'm excited to have you part of the part of our our history now on the podcast, but also to just be part of to be part of US soccer and and to be a voice at the table.
1: Yeah, well, glad to be there. I mean, uh, that's why people elected me, right? They need, they wanted me to be their voice, and here I am.
0: That's good. That's good. Um, All right. So I, I hope that I get a chance to run into you this weekend at the, at the NASL in San Francisco, and and I'll, I'll look for you, and I'll hopefully get to shake your hand. You got
1: my number, so If you get there, just text me or something, and I'll look for you.
0: Absolutely. All right. All right, John. Thank you so much.
1: Okay. Yep. Thank you. Yep. All right.
0: Bye. thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. My name is John Pronich, And if you want more episodes of this podcast, you can go to 343coaching.com. That's the numbers three, four and three coaching all spelled out.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our free seven week course, or our premium coaching course, or read over 200 articles. We have more videos, we've ebooks all kinds of stuff check out 343 coaching.com if you enjoyed this podcast then it would be awesome if you could leave us a five-star rating on apple podcasts or stitcher or wherever you're listening to this podcast that would be amazing and i would be very appreciative so thank you again for listening thank you to john for coming on the show and we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 podcast all right bye